0: And if you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. This morning we are continuing our study of Peter's letter to the dispersed churches in Asia Minor. We'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 um, verses 13 um, through 16 this morning. You can also find the text this morning for your for the message in the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of the service. And after having delivered his greeting and his basis for hope during trying times, which is the living hope in the resurrected Jesus Christ, Peter now turns his attention to strengthening believers for their walk through trials and through exile. He does this by transitioning to the topic in which I would believe he spends the rest of this letter addressing, and that is the topic of holiness. God is called holy in Scripture. It is a word in a way that describes God himself. Holiness or otherness or to be completely separate is to be like God in character, in thought, in word, and in deed. Indeed. Understanding this may seem to cause a big problem for us. Can we do it? Is this a cruel joke by God? Is God mocking us by calling us to holiness? Even worse is Peter saying there's no hope for you because the only answer is something that which you cannot obtain. We must answer there's no way that these questions can be true. God is not evil, God is good. Further, God is kind and knows what is best for his people and gives them freely what they need. Because this is true, if he calls us to holiness, then he will give us a plan on how to be holy. And that is what we will see here in our text this morning. A battle plan to pursue holiness. Would you follow along with me this morning as we read from the Holy Word of God? I'd like to begin in verse 13, and I'll read through verse 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spots. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. He has promised us in his word that it will do everything he has set out for it. Would you once again go with me now to the Lord in prayer and ask that he bless this time? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you call us to holiness. You call us to obedience, to live and to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, to model our lives after Jesus Christ. We admit this morning and we confess to you, God, if you do not do this work in us, it will not be done. If you do not guide us, assist us, encourage us, rebuke us when we fail and lovingly draw us back when we stray, we will not complete this task. And so we plead with you this morning. We ask, O Lord, through the power of your spirit, the preaching of your word and the fellowship with one another and observance of the sacraments, grow us in holiness for our sake and even more so for your glory. I pray that you would strengthen us all now in this time. We ask these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. This morning is our fourth sermon in our series on 1 Peter. And you might be asking yourself, why has it taken Peter so long to get to practical application? Remember, the people he's writing to need help now. They need help today. They've been dispersed. They've been cast out, sent from their homes, sent from their communities. They're under theological persecution and physical persecution. And part of the answer is we're taking the text section by section, which takes longer than to read the entire letter. But the bigger reason we're just now getting to what some might say is the practical application of the text is that everything Peter has said to this point sets the stage, holds up, gives authority to what he now says. We cannot begin to understand how to be holy and what, why we should be holy without understanding Christ. If we do not appreciate Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our living sacrifice then we will not respond well to being told we must live like him and model our lives after his. And as far as this topic, this topic of holiness, it tends to bring out one of two errors for most people who jump in too quickly without understanding the foundation. The first error is to go WWJD. What would Jesus do? Now, I had those bracelets as a teenager, We, as Fellowship as a Christian Athlete, made a killing and sponsored many trips out of selling those bracelets when I was in school. I think that they are just fine and they can be a good reminder, but there's a truth you need to hear. Neither you or I are Jesus. We cannot speak the authority of God's only begotten Son. There are some circumstances when we cannot nor should we do what Jesus would do because we are not God. God. A better acronym would be, what would Jesus want me to do in light of who he is and what he would want me to act upon, or what he has already taught. But at this point, it'd have to be a belt or a sash, because W-W-J-W-M-T-D-I-L-O-W-H-I-A-W-H-H-T is a bit much. (laughs) Did that four times to prepare for that. But some people take holiness to mean we either need to become a little G God or we need to do exactly what Jesus did and Jesus would do in every situation. That is not holiness. That's more or less the theme of the Disney movie Hercules. That falls on more line with Greek mythology and you need to be very careful of that. The other potential error is to swing too far in the opposite direction. You see this side of the ditch, and so you overcorrect the other way, and you say something like this I can't do it. There's no way. Holiness is, is too great a task. It's, it's too much to ask of me. It's, it's saying too much. It, it's, it's more than I can be. Until we're born again, either upon death or the return of Christ, holiness is something that I cannot achieve, so I'm not even going to try. This, too, is an error. The Lord calls us to holiness. He expects holiness out of us. And so while it may be tempting to drift to that other side and go, well, I'll just stay away from it and let the Lord sort it out, we must stay away from that ditch as well. So how do we navigate between the two? Well, Peter outlines a four-step process to understand and to apply holiness to our lives. Let's use his process this morning. Four actions as a guide to keep us safe on our journey. And remember, his teaching is meant to be immediately applicable to people going through periods of trials and periods of persecutions. Now, as a note, I said this morning, we read 13 through 21. I said there's a four-step process. Well, in my sermon preparation, um, I only got through most of point one. And so this morning, we're going to cover points one and point two. And then, Lord willing, next week, we're going to come back and pick up point three and point four. I hope you can understand that um, instead of keeping us here for a good hour and a half, which I would have been delighted to do, um, we will take this in two parts because it's simply too rich. You, you and I, we need this so much. This is too important to, ble- to uh, blow by, to, to handle quickly, to just say a word or a moment or two and then go on because holiness matters. Your holiness matters. It matters to God and it matters for your own sake and so this morning we're simply going to cover the first few verses we're going to see our first step to holiness is to set our hope on grace verse 13 and then secondly we will see that we're called to be defined by God's standard verses 14 to 16 it's important in our walk toward holiness to be declared by God and not declared by man And then Lord willing, in in the coming week, we'll learn that we're to remember holiness is bought by the blood of Christ. We find that in 17 to 19. And then finally, we're called to trust God as our source of faith, our source of hope, and our source of holiness. And we find that in the final two verses. Four actions that we can take to grow in holiness and to apply these truths that we've been studying thus far. Today, the first two, grace, and God's standard. And let's begin with grace. Peter starts this section with the all-important therefore. You're always to ask, what is it there for? Anytime you see it in Scripture. And what it does is it reminds us everything before it in context of this book sets the stage for what he's about to say. To again, very quickly summarize the totality of chapter 1 to this point. Our living hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This living hope will be your source of strength and endurance in the trials you are guaranteed to face. But take heart, for even these trials will work out for your good and for God's glory. That is our introduction, and then we pick up with our passage. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter gives us in this one verse three actions to take and then one action that will be taken on our behalf. Like I said, it's a very dense section. The Greek here, for prepare our minds for action, is my favorite Greek phrase, gird up your loins. This was a saying derived from the need for warriors or for runners to tie up their robes to not hinder their ability to move and to run. And so what this translates to, or, or what is implied in this, is prepare yourself for action. Get ready for combat. Get ready to act. You need to get yourself prepared. We use a, a similar, loosely similar phrase uh, in modern language, which is, it's time to roll up our sleeves and get to work. And Peter is telling them by by bringing this phrase to mind that to truly embark on the journey of holiness, you've got to prepare. You need to get ready physically and mentally. This is not something you simply luck your way into. It will take intentional, deliberate effort. If you were blessed to be with us in the Sunday school hour, R.C. Sproul said that more eloquently than I could. But it takes effort. You must be ready. And so first, prepare your heart and mind for action. Secondly, be sober-minded. You have to be clear of thought. It's very difficult to take on any task with a distracted mind, much less a task this serious. And this, again, there's a phrase being used, be sober-minded. We can understand, we can appreciate what it means to be clear-headed, Um, We know that consumption of alcohol and certain substances can inhibit brain ability and the capacity to fire at all cylinders, but that's not exactly what they have in mind. Again, we have to understand the idea, and what really Peter is saying here is be self-controlled, fruit of the Spirit. We must have control over our emotions. We must have control over our actions. Again, spiritual matters must be taking, taken seriously and will demand all of who and what we are. If you really want to pursue holiness, if you really want to get serious about living a godly life, it will take all of you. There's no way to half-heartedly do this. He continues, Having prepared our bodies and our minds... We're now told to set our hope on grace. Set your hope on grace. Grace, God's unmerited favor. Trust God. Hope in God. Rely upon God and his goodness. This is key to our holiness. This is what Peter needed the church to understand. The focus does not leave God now that we've laid the foundation. Verses 1 through 12 do a really good job of talking about God and who God is and our need of God and how Christ is the foundation and how upon Him we will build and we will grow. But what Peter is not saying in verses 13 and following is, now that you've laid the foundation, go out on your own and get your materials and get the plan for the house and build the house yourself and then look at what you did. That's not the case. Not only is God the foundation, but God is the walls. God is the roof. God is the entirety of the house. God is the blueprint. He is the plan. He is all of it. We don't simply jettison God. And, and I know this all sounds almost comical, but how often do we do this today? Lord, give me strength for the task ahead, for the journey I must take. And then we work and exude ourselves and break our backs with all that we have so that we get this done. And it's only when we fail, we then go, all right, God, that didn't work. Help me. When the better plan would be, Lord, give me strength and walk with me step by step by step for this plan ahead. For I can't do it. I can't lift a finger without your will Holiness does not look toward man. Holiness looks toward God. And it's a continual look. We have to be very careful lest we take a glance away and the house fall. And then Peter reminds us, said three actions to take and then an action taken for us. Grace will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. You have to be given the very grace you need to focus to grow in holiness. You need God to provide that which you need to rely upon God, which, by the way, is God. You need the Holy Spirit to work in you and give you strength and wisdom and understanding so that you can have strength and wisdom and understanding of God. He is the process. He is the plan. He is the totality of the plan. But to live a godly life in your thoughts, your words, and your deeds... God and God alone must grant you the ability to do so. And this can only come from faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And so I I say, as we've been saying in verses 1 through 12, this path starts with resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you do not trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, one, please hear me say, I'm so glad you're here and we love you already and we want to talk to you about this. But you will not be able to grow in holiness until you know jesus if you do not know him you cannot grow in this because to grow in this is to grow in him you can't grow in something you don't know and i want to emphasize that in in two ways I, i need to to give us some cautions here one holiness is something that we can and we must grow in it's part of our sanctification now, this does not negate what Christ has done on our behalf. And in reality, holiness really is two parts. It's what Christ has done in our ongoing effort. We are, in a sense, are completely and fully holy before God because of Christ. When Christ died for us, and God looks at us now, he does not see us, but he sees Christ. He sees a holy people and so please do not misunderstand me and say that that is taken away. Or that you, by your work or by that your effort, you add anything to that. Please don't misconstrue that. That being said, holiness is something we play a part in. We can grow in holiness. As we learn about God, as we study His Word, we commit ourselves to prayer. We put ourselves to death from our sin. As we do those things, we will grow in our love of God. We will grow in our desire for God and our ability to obey God. This means we are growing in holiness. And this is important to understand if we want to avoid those ditches earlier. Remember, over effort or under effort gets you to the same place in a ditch. You've got to understand that it is through God, but it is work. And that's the second thing I want to make very clear. One, you can grow in it, two, it will be work. You have to work at it, and it's not easy. The world, the flesh, and the devil will constantly fight against your growing in holiness. Satan's plan from the beginning, his first words, did God really say? To make you question the word and the will of God. So I don't want to give you a false sense to say that holiness will come quickly and easily. In fact, it will come through various trials. Peter's already mentioned that in our passage. Remember, he's writing to churches actively going through trials. But it's important to see and to admit that that even while this is true, we cannot be defined by the world's standards. We cannot let the world tell us who we are and what we should do, how we should live. And so we focus now as we've, we've seen the need of grace, to the idea that we must be defined by God's standard and not our own. Would you look with me at our second section to see this? In this section, Peter describes to people what he's talking about using familial language. What does he call them but obedient children? And again, I I didn't plan it, but uh, in Lord's Providence, if you were here during the Sunday school hour, it's the difference in childlike and childish childlike in our faith. The Bible will often use this category, children, referring to believers, because of the level of trust and honesty involved. Your best friend will tell you you look great. You go to a child and they'll tell you how you look. Every time. Bless them in their early stages when they don't even know how to lie. They don't understand what a lie is. They will tell you the truth. We are to be like children in our faith, children see the world in a simplistic way. That does not mean they are simple, and that's not mean, that does not mean to be an insult. Jesus, in fact, repeatedly rebukes the disciples for thinking, I'm going to be the greatest because of my understanding. I think I'm going to be the greatest because of who I am, where I came from. And he picks up a child and says, Unless you are like one of these, you're not even getting in the door. You must have faith as one of these children. We find that in Matthew 18 and Mark 10, Luke 18. Multiple times, Jesus lifts up the child as the example of faith. Matthew Henry says of this title, Obedient Children, The children of God ought to prove themselves to be such by their obedience, by their present, constant, and universal obedience. He sees this statement, this identifying marker, not only as a description of the person, but a challenge to verify their identity. If you are in God, you will obey Jesus himself. If you love me, you will care for my sheep. Remember, holiness is the goal, and you cannot learn to live like God in thought, word, and deed if you do not know God. Children learn how to navigate this world from their parents. It is by watching their parents respond to this world and to the situations of this world that children learn how to do the same in similar situations. Peter is reminding the Christians that they must, first and foremost, identify themselves with the family of God. You are part of a family. And then Peter turns from the positive to the negative. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. Again, to quote Matthew Henry, Persons when converted, converted differ exceedingly from what they were formerly. They are people of another fashion and manner from what they were before. Their inward frame, their behavior, their speech, and their conversation is much altered from what it was in times past. It is one thing to live in sin not knowing fully the hope and truth of Jesus Christ. It is something differently altogether to know the truth and then willingly and actively follow the passage of your flesh. Peter is exhorting the church. Even in times of trials and difficulties, it is imperative to not give in to temptation or sinful shortcuts that may seem to make your life easier just because the world says it's okay. He knows this. Remember, it's Peter we're talking about. Three times he denies Christ. Doesn't he know that that's a sin you do not commit? Doesn't he know the value of his words and what he's saying and what he's denying that night? Of course he does. Peter, of all people, would be the perfect one to tell us, do not live in the passion of your former ignorance. This brings up a really good point we need to acknowledge. And you know, as pastors, we get a bad rap because we, we bring this up every chance we can, but it, it bears saying here. It is very difficult to follow the commands of a God if you do not know those commands or that God. We've talked about what it means to know God, but to know the commands of God, I cannot, cannot, cannot emphasize enough to you the need to be in God's Word. It is vital. You will not grow in holiness if you're not studying the holy God. You will not obey the commands of God if you do not know the commands of God. And we know they're written on our hearts. Um, they're imbued with us at birth. But actively, intentionally pursuing it. Linguists have calculated, and I did some study this week, at pulpit speaking speed, so regular, just a little slower than regular conversational language, it would take most of us 70 hours to read the Bible out loud. Beginning to end, 70 hours. This is driving me nuts. I'm sorry. The Old Testament clocks in at about 52 and a half. It takes you about 52 and a half if you read it out loud at pulpit speaking speed. And about 18 and a half for the New Testament. Now, most of us read faster than we speak. It's just a way our brain works and we're blessed that way. And some of you are incredible readers. As I talk to you and you're like, yeah, I finished this book. And I'm like, it's 300 pages. I'm like, okay you read really quickly. Now it's never a race and it is never a speed test. And we, when we read the word of God, I would much rather you hit one word and then fall on your knees in prayer and reflect upon that word for the rest of the day than for you to blow by it, to hit a check mark. But dear brothers and sisters, I, just, I, I give you this to encourage you. We all, myself included, are often quick to say I don't have time. And you can fill in the blank for whatever it is. But if your holiness is at stake, if your relationship with God and your ability to live like Him in this world, if that's what we're talking about, and this is all it takes, the math works out. It's like two and a half hours a day you can read this book in a month, the totality of it. Or three minutes a day, you can get it in a year. The math is right if I, remember, if I wrote it down correctly, but it's true, about 70 hours. You can, you can divide it up however you want to. Start to finish, we have to be willing to say no to some things. John Piper, he goes so far as to say, if you spend a day and you ate but you did not read God's word, you failed. He would go so far to say, I'd rather you starve and be fed by the word of God. Now we need to be careful to not wrongly apply that. But then again, at the same time, if we're saying we don't have time and we start listing out the things we did that day, that may be the Holy Spirit convicting you. And so I encourage you, I don't mean that to be a negative, I just I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to live according to God's standard, you have to know the standard. You have to study His Word in order to best live it out. And it's after all of this that Peter now directly references holiness. As He who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Holy. It is God's standard, not man's. God is holy. He is called holy. In the Levitical law, Leviticus 11.44, God states His holiness in opposition to the uncleanliness of this world and the things of this world. In Isaiah 6, the angels around the throne in Isaiah's vision cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We sang it earlier. The whole earth is full of His glory. That is the holy God that we now speak of. That is the holy God that now calls us to holiness. It is that God that says, be holy in your conduct. I love what the Tyndale commentary speaks to this by saying, the idea of holiness for God's people includes not simply a concept of separation in general, but specifically a moral sense of separation from evil and a dedication to a life of righteousness. Be holy, and all of your conduct speaks of a pattern of life that will transform every day, every moment, every thought, and every action. We're called to take every word, thought, and deed captive and hold it against the standard of God. Why? Because you belong to Him. You are His children, and we represent His name. Because He is holy, He calls us to be holy, we are His ambassadors. We reveal to the world what it means to live as children of God. And we will fail at this. We will miss the mark. But even because this is true, it does not mean we can simply give up. Let's be honest and and, and really evaluate ourselves this morning. Each one of us could exhibit more energy into actively living every thought, word, and deed for God. And we'd probably take a whole lot less actions, thoughts, words, and deeds If we were truly doing so, we would weigh everything, think everything through, slow every decision down. If we were truly saying, will this glorify God? Will this be in accord to his word and will this strengthen me and grow me in my holiness? Remember, Peter is writing to people under much different circumstances than us today. And they're given the same challenge. We are be holy. They don't have God's word readily available as we do. They don't have a community of resources as we have. And yet, even to them, he says, be holy. Live like Christ, especially during persecution, especially when life is hard, because that will glorify God. That will act as a testimony to this lost and dying world. That will show everyone that you are a child of God, not children of the devil. Brothers and sisters, this is a tough topic. I admit that to you. The more we study God's word and the more we pursue holiness, the more sin we find in our lives. But the pursuit does not create the sin. It reveals that which has always been there. Let's work together on this very important task. We as a community, we as a church, we heard it this morning in the vows, are called to live together. We need each other for this. You can't do it without one another. More importantly, you can't do it without Christ. Christ. Please don't forget, even as we talk about holiness and we speak of it as an action, the whole way, the whole plan from beginning to end is relying upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, the one who will forgive us when we miss the mark and the one who will encourage us all along the way. It is his word that says, you are holy, now go be holy in all of your conduct. And that is more than enough for you and for me and for the week ahead. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, what a wonderful charge in your word. Please, O Lord, as we discuss for the next several weeks this call to holiness, may we not place it fully upon ourselves and think that we can just simply do it by working harder, by trying harder, by trying more. But at the same time, may we not throw our hands in the air and give up and say, Lord, help us. We can't do it. We'll sit here until you do it but in word and sacrament and prayer, may we rest upon and rely upon you for our source of strength and hope, living our lives, holy lives, before a lost and dying world. I pray that you would give us strength as a church and as individuals, as families, to live as Christians, children of the Most High God. May we set our hope upon grace that's given to us freely because of who you are. I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.